Well, good morning, church. It's such a privilege to open God's uh, unfailing word with you today. And whether you're joining us online or in person, uh, super glad that you're here. Uh, before I launch into the sermon, I wanted to just uh, take a chance to, to thank you uh, for the, the six-week sabbatical that starts for me in, uh, in an hour or two. So, uh, man, doesn't start yet. Okay, I've got a sermon here, but... Uh, uh, man, this will be uh, the fourth one that I've been privileged to take uh, over the last 22 years, 2005, 2010, 2015. Uh, skip last summer, I don't know why. Uh, and uh, I just uh, can tell you that everyone has been a blessing to, to my family and to me personally and to me uh, spiritually, and I know this one will be as well. Uh, starting uh, kind of on the front end, a spiritual retreat in Chicago, on the back end, uh, a wedding in Austin, but uh, the lion's share of the time will be spent uh, in New York City, which is a city that's really important uh, to me. My mom was born and grew up there. My parents met there, and it's a city that's special to, to Lita and me, and so we look forward to exploring churches and museums and coffee shops, doing lots of walking and uh, reading, and I also uh, want to spend uh, time uh, praying for you. And so maybe you've already seen on our website, uh, there's a link, vrbc.net slash pray, vrbc.net, our church's website, slash pray, P-R-A-Y, and you could leave a prayer request there for me. It's confidential. It's for my eyes only. And I would just be so privileged to, to pray for you. Uh, but I did just want you to let you know uh, how, uh, how grateful uh, that I am for this opportunity. So this morning we have a, a one-week sermon series. Is that a thing? A one-week sermon series? Uh, I want you to find the Old Testament book of Haggai. Uh, it's toward the end of your Old Testament. If you get to some minor prophets that start with Z, uh, it's right in between those two. And uh, I, I think I've only preached on this book once before as your, your pastor. And uh, I want you to find Haggai chapter 2 and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 in a moment. And we're going to talk about uh, spiritual rebuilding. That's the theme for today, spiritual rebuilding. And so I want to read our passage, Haggai 2, 1 through 9. And just a, a little heads up, I'm going to say the word, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to read the word house a lot. And when I read the word house, I want you to think God's house or, or God's tabernacle or God's temple, okay, uh, where the people of God gather to worship. So Haggai 2, 1 through 9, hear the word of the Lord. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. To Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. And to the remnant of the people, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like Nothing. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I, once, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, 
And the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God bless the reading of his word. There's a business writer I follow. His name is David Allen, and his specialty is time management, which is something I'm quite interested in. And uh, he's written uh, a best-selling book many years ago called Getting Things Done. The cool kids call it GTD. And, uh, And his GTD book specializes in helping people turn hazy ideas into concrete next action steps for today and tomorrow and this week. But at the same time as he's encouraging the making of all these lists of things to do next, Uh, He also encourages everybody to have what he calls a someday maybe list. And on the someday maybe list are things that might, you might do one day, or you might not. You might uh, add on a garage apartment, or you might learn French, or you might finally clean out the attic, or any of a number of other challenging projects. And he says, you know, you can get overwhelmed trying to do everything at once and all your good intentions at one time. And so put the things that are urgent on the the next, you know, next action list and then put other things on a someday maybe list. Well, I actually like the idea. I think it makes a lot of sense. But, But here's the problem. The problem comes when very important and urgent things end up on a someday maybe list, like... Uh, paying your taxes, for example, or uh, getting your oil changed. So, and I think in some ways you could say that this is what has happened for uh, the people of Israel during the time of the prophet Haggai. When Haggai comes on the scene about 500 years or so before Jesus was born, the people in southern Israel, a region called Judah, had experienced so much trauma. They'd seen the Babylonian army come through Uh, about 67, 70 years earlier, and and just destroy Jerusalem. So imagine if this happened to our country in, say, the early 1950s, okay? And and we're reflecting back on that experience uh, today. Uh, These people had experienced something so traumatic. They'd watched this beloved temple that King Solomon had built be looted and destroyed by a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. Many of them had experienced the trauma of exile. They'd been dragged off to this foreign country of Babylon. And now they're beginning to return. They're beginning to rebuild. Now there's a new kingdom, Persia. There's a new king, King Darius. But still, when it comes to spiritual rebuilding, uh, the people have been slow to respond. In fact, if you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the the people were saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. I think that's interesting. Not yet come. Is it time to rebuild the Lord's house? Ah, the time has not yet come. You know, sometimes when we procrastinate, we don't say never, right? We just say, I don't think the time is right. Uh, We say, yes, that's very important. Uh, We're going to get around to it. Someday, it's on our someday list, uh, but just not today or tomorrow or next week. It's on the list, just not right now. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that we are sometimes tempted toward what I want to call spiritual procrastination? Why is it that sometimes we are tempted to put off these significant things in our lives spiritually? I want to suggest a couple of reasons as to why we might be tempted toward spiritual procrastination. 
And the first one, if I can just be kind of blunt, is a preoccupation with selfish pursuits. Sometimes we put things off in our spiritual lives because we are very focused in on our personal agenda and maybe you might even say our our selfish agenda. We'd rather not admit it, but sometimes we basically say to God, look, God, I'm gonna take care of myself first and when I'm done, then I will get to you. You're, You're on the list, just not right now. And I think this is what was happening in Jerusalem. Um, Haggai 1 tells us that the people were quick to rebuild their own lives. The people were starting to see a rising standard of living. But when it came to their religious life, when it came to their worship, well, that was in shambles. And so God asked a very penetrating question. We didn't read this, but in chapter 1, verse 4, God asked a very penetrating question through the prophet Haggai to the people. He asks, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Think beautiful, rebuilt, fancy houses. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, once again the temple, remains a ruin? That, That hurts, doesn't it? What is God saying? I was saying, it looks like things are coming along very nicely in your homes on uh, Elm Street and and Pecan Street, Uh, but what about Church Street, okay? Uh, Church Street is another story. No serious effort has been undertaken to rebuild the temple. In fact, the main theme of chapter one, which we didn't read, is, is about getting to the work of spiritual rebuilding. And a little bit of work gets started, but by the time we get to chapter two, this spiritual rebuilding project has kind of stalled out. And I think it's stalled out for a second reason why we sometimes procrastinate spiritually. Not only are we often preoccupied with our own paneled houses, so to speak, but sometimes we procrastinate spiritually because the obstacles to spiritual rebuilding just feel too big for us. I mean, I I think this is true just in general. Sometimes when we procrastinate, it's because the project just feels too, too big. And we get overcome by anxiety about how would we ever do that. We get overcome by discouragement. We get frustrated by how slow progress is. We get frustrated and intimidated by the enormity of the task that lies before us. And I think this is exactly what God is speaking to in verse 3. He lovingly confronts Judah's governor and Judah's high priest, kind of the chief political and spiritual officers of Judah, And then he lovingly confronts the the people as well uh, with their spiritual sluggishness. And he asks us in in verse three, he asks this question. He says, who of you is left who saw this house, Solomon's temple, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Now, what is God referring to when he says, are there any of you left? Well, once again, imagine that in, you know, we were living in Judah, but instead of uh, 500 BC, it was kind of 1950s, okay? And, uh, and, and, and so the question is, who remembers the temple? Well, most of us wouldn't, but there would be some who would, right? There would be some who, were, uh, who are our, our, our senior adults, and they would remember what Solomon's temple looked like. And so God is, is kind of asking, how many of you old timers can remember it? It's former glory. And, and likely there were a few, and there, there were probably had tears in their eyes. And then God says, now what does it look, to you, what does it look like to you now? And, and, 
And, and compared to those glorious experiences and those glorious memories of the old temple, and now we're looking around and we see a, a half-finished foundation and maybe a wall up here and a wall up there and a lot of exposed uh, plumbing pipes, and, and, and God knows what they're thinking. The people are thinking our glory days are behind us. Our glory days are in the past, and the task of rebuilding is just too big. Friends, I want to suggest to you that there's something so debilitating about living as if our best days are behind us. But it's easy to do, isn't it? Sometimes we can feel like there was a golden age for our churches or, or for our families, maybe even in our personal lives. There was a golden age, but that age has passed. The church that I grew up in was, was planted in the 1950s, and it had a, a legendary pastor in that chapter of its history. His name was Wallace Rogers. And Dr. Rogers led the church to build this gorgeous sanctuary on Staples Street in, in Corpus Christi. And there was this huge steeple, the steeple on Staples, people would say. Uh, and in the, in the sanctuary, right above the baptistry where I was baptized as a seven-year-old, there was this gorgeous uh, stained glass window with a, a picture of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. And it was just Amazing, And the church uh, was in this kind of building phase. And after it built the sanctuary, it built a, a fellowship hall, a place kind of for, for Sunday school and to gather and to eat. And they named it Rogers Hall after Dr. Rogers. And, uh, and I wasn't even born when the church got started. And, and I don't even think I ever met Dr. Rogers. But I grew up hearing about the glory days, the glory days. And nobody ever said it, but it kind of felt like the undertone was, we'll never see days like that again. Now, Israel probably felt like that times a thousand. And I think God asked the question in verse 3, just to get all that discouragement out on the table. Sometimes we have to get it all out so that God can speak honestly to it. But here's what's so ironic about the present moment for the people of Israel. Uh, when you look at the date that is referenced in verse 1, that date actually fell during a, a very important Jewish holiday. Uh, it was the, the holiday that was called the, the Feast of Tabernacles, or sometimes it was called the Feast of Booths. It was a week-long holiday, and uh, uh, it was a very important holiday on, on the Jewish calendar. And it commemorated that uh, time, that season, when the Almighty God, in the form of a, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, led the people of Israel through the promised land. And the people lived in tents. They camped out for 40 years. And so, uh, get this, once a year, the people of Israel, to commemorate the Exodus, what they would do is they would actually have a, a camp out. They would stay in booths. They would stay in tents or little tabernacles as a way of remembering that their ancestors camped out uh, in the wilderness and how God led them through those dark days and into the promised land. Leviticus 23, by the way, speaks a little more about this. So I don't want you to let this irony be lost on you. For, for a week... As chapter 2 is opening, for a week in Haggai's day, faithful Jews were camping outside. They were singing songs about how God had rescued them and led them from captivity to the promised land. They were singing their own versions of how great thou art and great is thy faithfulness. In their worship, they were singing about God's sufficiency. But in their hearts, 
What were they doing in their hearts? In their hearts, they were assuming the best days were long gone. Friends, I wonder, no show of hands, but I wonder how many of us are tempted to do the same thing. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that we as a church and churches all over the place find ourselves in a season of rebuilding. The the pandemic has been a a challenging disruption to church as we know it. I mean, it disrupted just about everything, right? It disrupted our worship. It disrupted our grow groups. It disrupted our adult ministry, our student ministry, our, our children's ministry. The the pandemic disrupted our treasured traditions around here. Maybe even for many of us, it disrupted our spiritual disciplines. It disrupted our our spiritual habits. And of course, all that disruption was not bad, right? As often happens uh, in life, in a church, a challenge like a pandemic really brings out the best when it comes to creativity and and innovation. And and I just want to say publicly uh, how uh, grateful I am, how proud I am, of our staff, how proud I am of our lay leaders, how proud I am of you. I mean, this has been an amazing year of innovation and creativity. We had to, right? But, but still, I don't want it to be lost on us of all the hard work that has been done to respond to the challenges that are before us. But perhaps for some of us, disruption inevitably leads to discouragement. Or you know what's even worse than discouragement? Apathy. In fact, maybe sometimes we can even get more focused on our own paneled houses and lives than on God's house and God's work. I I doubt any of us would say it this way, but maybe the thought of rebuilding is on a a someday maybe list, but it is far from today's to-do list. And friends, if that's you or if that's me, Let's be honest, probably to a certain extent, it's practically all of us. I want you to listen to what the God, for what God says through the prophet Haggai to Judah, but also to us. I want to ask the question, what goes on the today list? Not the someday list, but the today list. Because what God says to a discouraged and complacent people in Jerusalem 2,500 years ago has deep relevance for us. And so I want us to look at verse 4. What does verse four say? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. I love verse four. There's this opening salvo here, the words, but now. These words mark a change in the spiritual calendar, don't they? It marks a transition from dwelling in the past nostalgically to waking up to the present of what God is doing. Verse 4 is like this large hot mug of black coffee. It's time to wake up, uh, God is saying through Haggai to the people. And I think there, there are some things that God wants the, the people to put on their, to, their to-do list for today. Uh, not just them, but us as well. And, and I want us to note these. First of all, God calls on us to access the strength of God. Access God's strength. This is not a time to, to, for the people of God to keep hitting the snooze button. This is a time to wake up 
and find God's strength. Three times in verse four, the Lord tells the leaders and the people to be strong, be strong, be strong. Why? Because we're gonna need a strength outside of us to do what God is calling us to do. This is not the last time, by the way, that the, the, or the first time, rather, that, the, that God's people have found themselves in this situation. Remember what happened when the people are making their way through the wilderness and Moses dies? I mean, for, for a period of time, Moses, their great leader, has died, and the people are stuck in the, the spiritual quicksand of grief. And it's like, how in the world can we move forward when our great leader, Moses, has died? But you may remember that God spoke to a, another Joshua, Joshua, son of Nun, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1. And what does he say repeatedly to Joshua and Joshua? Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. It's as if God is saying, yes, Joshua, Moses is dead, but I'm not dead. And it's time to get to work. And I find it fascinating that in verse 5 of Haggai 2, uh, uh, that God actually refers to this season. He says in verse 5, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. God is saying, I'm still here, so do not fear. What is God saying? I was with you then, I'm with you now. Back then it was a forbidding desert. Now it's mounds of rubble, as one commentator puts it, mounds of rubble in the streets of Jerusalem. The work, yes, is daunting, but I'm still here. The the Spirit of God is still here. So don't give in to fear, but rather access my strength, access my spirit. That's the first thing on the today list. What's the second thing? The second thing is to do the work of God, to do the work. God wants them to get back to work. Yes, Israel has been shaken by her political enemies. Verse 6 speaks to that. But ultimately, the one who truly shakes everything up is not King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Guess what? Nebuchadnezzar is dead, but the sovereign God is alive, living, active. He moves mountains. He moves the sea. Uh, All creation worships him. He's not dead. In fact, the God that we see in verse 7, as as we read verse 7, I I just want to just ask if this God sounds intimidated to you, okay? See if this God sounds intimidated. God says, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Does that sound like God is intimidated? No. Just as a foreign king came and looted the temple in Jerusalem, God can fill the temple with his treasure. In fact, I find it fascinating that the the king who was on the throne, King Darius, had actually instructed Israel's opponents to pay the cost of temple rebuilding out of taxation in their own districts. I mean, mean, God is, is so amazing. But many scholars have noticed that this prophecy might have another shaking in mind. And then when God talks about shaking the earth and the desire of the nations coming, that God is actually prophesying that the the true desire of all nations, and that is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes to earth, his birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension will shake the cosmos because he comes to conquer evil, sin, and death. And Jesus himself becomes the new temple. Jesus himself becomes our treasure, and he creates a kingdom, Hebrews 12 says, that cannot be shaken. He does the shaking. He can't be shaken. Friends, I I want you to know I get it. I I get it. There's something 
understandable, but also tragic about a spiritual frame of mind that acts as if our best days are behind us. Here's what's tragic about it. It causes us to live in despair and not faith. It causes us to turn inward, to focus more on our own houses and the house of the Lord. It causes us to think more about earthly treasure than the treasure of the nations, the desire of the nations, the one whose blood is the most precious thing that we have. Here's what's tragic. It causes us to piddle our lives away instead of rising up and doing the great work God has called us to do. And friends, as your staff, your church council, as we've been talking and thinking and praying uh, about this, we think God has put a great work in front of us. I just want to talk about some of these things. Uh, Part of the the great work God has put in front of us is just re-engaging people. I mean, if there are people who are still a part of this church body, but you know, they've still got VRBC t-shirts in their, in, in their shirt drawer, okay? But, but, but their relational bonds have grown thin and tenuous. I think God is calling us to help them renew their bonds of fellowship here. And maybe some of you would say, you know, I'm here in person or online, but that kind of feels like me right now. Part of the work God, I think, is calling us to is to, is to reconnect Uh, with people who are apart, haven't gone anywhere else, but just feel kind of spiritually adrift when it comes to fellowship right now. God is calling us to be strong, to do the work of re-engaging others. I think God is calling us, secondly, to a a work of spiritual growth and discipleship. Boy, when you go through a pandemic and you think, huh, was I strong enough spiritually for the challenges that I faced? You know, if if something like that ever comes again, I want to be stronger in the Lord. I, I want my spiritual disciplines to be deeper. I don't know about you, but I'm more motivated than ever for us to grow stronger and, and grow in endurance and grow in steadfastness and sink deep roots like, like that tree in Psalm 1 that's transplanted by the river, that's roots go down deep into the river of God's presence. That's what I pray for us, that, that, that bearing fruit in all seasons, that we prosper in all seasons. A work of re-engaging folks, a work of growing deeper spiritually. I think God is calling us to a work of serving a work of serving, because rebuilding requires so many servants. Now, I know so many of us, we're, we're personally healing from grief and trauma, and, and, I, and I recognize that. Uh, but, but one of the best ways to reclaim a joy in the Lord is to serve others. I think this is a work that God is calling us to. Re-engage, go deeper, serve And then let me tell you one other work that I've just been so convicted of, and that's the work of prayer. Maybe in some ways this is our most important work, praying not just for the sick and struggling, which is important, but praying for revival, praying for the work of God's spirit among us, praying for our families, praying for our community to know Jesus in a profound way. And I know I don't think I don't get the irony of the guy who's saying, let's get back to work, is, is leaving for quite a few weeks. I get the irony of that, please, I do, I do. Um, but I will pledge this to you, that um, I, I just feel so called to the work of prayer uh, over these next many weeks, and feel privileged to pray for you.
So let's get to the work of spiritual rebuilding. Let's let God call us to deeper prayer. Let's let God call us out of discouragement and procrastination and, and, and call us to the renewed work he's doing among us. Even when life still feels intimidating and discouraged, discouraging and at times even hopeless, let's do the work. Do you know the name Howard Thurman? Howard Thurman was a, a powerful spiritual leader, African-American pastor and writer, a prominent figure in the civil rights movement. He, he ministered during a time when, when so much of life felt broken down, when so much of life felt like the days of Haggai. And yet, Howard Thurman was strong. And Howard Thurman did the work. And he used to tell a story about something that happened to him as a little boy that was very formative in his life. He said that uh, uh, he saw an old man uh, who must have been in his 80s. And this man was planting pecans. And you know, sometimes little kids have a way of putting things very bluntly that adults would never say, you know, but, but you're a little kid, so you say it. And, uh, and little Howard, he's eight years old, he goes up to this man in his 80s planting pecans, and he says, sir, you know what? You're not gonna be around to see that tree. <laughs> you will never live long enough to eat pecans from that pecan seed you're planting right now. And the old man looked at young Howard and he said, son, all my life, I've been eating from trees I didn't plant. It's my job to plant for somebody else. Friends, it's not our job to control the results of our faithfulness. It's not our job to see the results of our faithfulness. It's not our job to grow the trees while we watch. God has blessed us. We've eaten from so many trees we didn't plant. God has called us to bless others. Just plant something. Plant prayer. Plant serving. Plant outreach. And leave the results up to God. And by the way, plant not someday. Plant not maybe. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Look, it's true. Solomon's temple was glorious. And so far, the physical temple that the people of Haggai's day were rebuilding looked nothing like the old. So how is it that we can read in verse 9 that the glory of this present house will be greater? That's what he says. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, says the Lord Almighty. Perhaps it is because true glory is never measured in square footage. True glory is never measured out in price per square foot. True glory is never measured out in silver or gold. True glory comes when God's presence is among us. True glory happens when God's peace is here. True glory is the work of Jesus, the body of Christ, the true temple. And so I just want to encourage you and even more encourage me not to have our eyes in the rearview mirror mourning some faded glory from the past. Because wherever the presence of Christ is, there's glory. Wherever the Spirit of Christ dwells, there's glory. Wherever the presence of Christ is, there is peace. 
So let's be strong, church. Be strong, church. Be strong, church. And do the work because God is among us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word, Lord, is a spiritual tonic for us. It is that cup of hot coffee. Uh, it, it, It does help us turn the calendar. It does help us wake up. It does call us, most importantly, to your activity and your presence among us. It calls us, Lord, to not be afraid. It calls us to find our strength from a supernatural source. It calls us, Lord, to look to Jesus, our treasure, the desire of the nations, and to share the truth of our treasure with all the nations, starting right here. And so, Lord, put your strength in us, we pray, and call us to your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.